All right, well, welcome to part 29 of uh, What Lies Ahead. We've been at this a while, haven't we? So uh, we're still in the midst of talking about the tribulation, and uh, that's kind of been our theme the last uh, several weeks. Uh, and we're going to hopefully uh, dig into that a little bit more today and still allow some time for questions. We're overdue for one of our uh, Q&A, dedicated Q&A sessions, so I didn't want to dedicate this hour to that, but I do uh, hope to allow plenty of time for questions at the end. Just a couple of quick reminders. If you haven't yet watched part five of what in the world is going on, that's uh, up on the uh, church website as well as the uh, Not By Works website, so notbyworks.org or plumcreekchapel.org. And uh, by the way, I think I've mentioned this before, but for those that are uh, joining us by live stream or watching the videos at some point during the you know, down the road. If you're ever in the Denver area, we'd sure love to have you at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, uh, Colorado. You can check that check us out at PlumCreekChapel.org. Uh, don't forget if you don't have the book, the books that we're using kind of as a template for this series are called What Lies Ahead: A Biblical Overview of the End Times. Those are on the back table or available at the Not by Works uh, website. Uh, so the tribulation is a period of time in scripture that gets a lot of attention it's uh old and new testament alike as we've talked about in the previous few weeks uh make a big deal about this uh, period called the tribulation and this morning we're going to continue to give you several more reasons why uh, the tribulation is a part of god's plan uh, of the ages but it constitutes a seven-year period in uh, the future uh, when the Antichrist sets himself up as the world leader and uh, rules and reigns over that period of seven years. And we know it's seven years because the prophet Daniel in Daniel 9 talks about a seven-year period, a uh, Shema, and, uh, and it's a, he talks about 77-year periods or a 490-year span, and he spells it out exactly how that will come about and we know from scripture that 483 of those 490 years have already been fulfilled they ended with the coming of Christ at the first advent but seven years still await future fulfillment and so uh, a lot is going on during that seven year period it's when the judgments of God are poured out the wrath of God is called the great day of the Lord's wrath it's a time when uh, Satan is desperately trying uh, to uh, overtake the world and win this cosmic struggle between good and evil, between Satan and God. And uh, it's a time when you've got a one-world system, a one-world uh, economy, uh, one-world uh, government politically. Uh, you've got uh, the abomination of desolation, which is prophesied by both Jesus himself and Daniel at the midpoint, when uh, the Antichrist not only uh, demands that everybody follow his orders as the political one world leader of the world, the king of the world, but he also at that point says he's God and he uh, claims to be the creator, God, and he, everyone must worship him and bow down uh, to him. And when that happens, then it really intensifies. And uh, you see at the bottom of the screen there the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments, which are spelled out in Revelation chapters 6 through 18. And we're going to get to those down the road and kind of talk about uh, what those look like and what will be happening uh, on the earth. But there are 20 designations in the Old Testament that we have looked through. I'll just kind of skip through these quickly because we spent time on them uh, previously. But different terms describing the tribulation period. The New Testament similarly uh, deals with 
this tribulation period. One of the biggest passages is in the Olivet Discourse, number one there on the screen. Um, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each deal with the Olivet Discourse. And it's called the Olivet Discourse because it's the uh, sermon that Jesus preached the night before he was betrayed in the garden during the very, very near the end, the waning hours of his life before he was crucified for our sins and then, of course, rose again three days later. Uh, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record that sermon that he gave from atop the Mount of Olives. We call it the Olivet Discourse or the Olivet Sermon. And it's uh, extensively uh, dealing with the tribulation period, uh, that seven-year period, uh, in answer to the question from the first century Jews, what will be the sign of your coming? And how will we know when the, this age is going to end and the kingdom age is finally going to come? And so he answers it. Uh, but of course, Revelation spells out the details of things that will be going on during that seven-year period, and Paul addresses the tribulation uh, extensively in, in, in First and Second Thessalonians, and there are other references to it in the New Testament as well. There you see some of the terms that are used in the New Testament to refer, refer to this seven-year uh, period. Uh, the birth pangs is something that is used in the Old and New Testament alike, um, and it refers to that those seven years of birth pangs leading up to the final moment when Christ comes back and takes the throne. Uh, so we, we left off last week with uh, the first purpose of the tribulation being to complete the decreed period of Israel's hardening. And we talked about how the Old Testament uh, tells the story of the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, the apple of his eye, um, uh, starting with you know, Father Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and ultimately David and ultimately the ultimate seed of Abraham being Jesus Christ himself. But during Israel's history, they have had good times and bad times, times of obedience and times of rebellion, times of exile and times of being in their homeland. And all of that was a part of God's a prophecy that they should be uh, under Gentile domination, as we're going to talk about today, until uh, Christ came uh, back. And we talked specifically about the book of Romans in chapters 9 through 11. And we camped out there, and that's where we left off as we talked about how Romans chapters 9 through 11 deals with the election of Israel, that that is God's chosen nation, how Israel rejected the gospel and the Messiah and crowned him with thorns instead of a king's crown. And then ultimately, when the deliverer comes out of Zion, as uh, uh, prophesied in chapter 11, uh, we see the deliverance uh, of Israel. So then the second reason that uh, according to God's divine plan, we have this seven year of intense tribulation is for judgment upon uh, the Gentiles. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how God works and it's hard for us to understand from our limited knowledge and, and not having the eternal uh, perspective. But God can both use pagan nations as an instrument of his judgment while at the same time holding them accountable for their own sinful uh, behavior. And so uh, the, the world has been under Gentile domination for centuries, even millennia now, and at some point uh, that's going to change. One, one point in the future, Christ himself, the King of kings and Lord of lords, um, the ultimate seed of Abraham, as I said, is going to rule from Israel, from Jerusalem, from the temple, as Ezekiel talks about, and sit on the throne and uh, rule with a perfect uh, rod of justice, a rod of iron, and peace and righteousness and holiness. And, and then that will be the end of this uh, 
time of the Gentiles. But, the, but God is using this tribulation period to bring judgment upon uh, the Gentile uh, nations. We looked at this verse uh, previously, but again, he says, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And that's talking about judgment on the whole earth, specifically uh, the Gentiles. Another reason for the tribulation, then, is to engender a messianic revival among the Jews as, as they've been scattered throughout the world. If you remember last week, we talked about how uh, this present age, this time of blindness for Israel, is, is supposed to provoke God's chosen nation, Israel, to jealousy. That if we as believers in the present age are doing what we're supposed to be doing, walking in the Spirit, not after the flesh, uh, you know, b- b- putting on the new man, uh, living a Christ-like uh, life, walking by faith and not by sight. If we are, uh, you know, spiritually mature, godly believers in this present age, then uh, everyone ultimately, but in the case of the in relation to the Jews, the Jews will see that and kind of want that. They will say, "We want what you have. We want that intimacy with the Creator." We want to be able to burst into the throne room in heaven and make our requests known to God. We want to be able to kneel before the throne with unmitigated access and intimacy. And so part of the purpose of this present age is to you know, give a glimpse of glory, so to speak, a foreshadowing and a foretaste of what's to come. And so when the tribulation gets here, of course, by that time, the church will have already been caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And now Israel, because of all the signs in the Old and New Testament alike that are given about the tribulation, because of Jesus' specific teaching about the tribulation, when he says, when you see these things, you know that you are in the generation that's going to see my return. So it's getting very close. At that point, uh, what's going to happen is in the minds of many Jews, they will kind of connect the dots, and they'll say, ah, we get it now. Christ is coming back just like he said he would, and the hour is late, and we don't want to make the same mistake that the people in Noah's day did by ignoring the warnings during this seven-year period, and and we want to have the kind of relationship with Yahweh, the Creator God, that the the believers in the church age uh, had. And so this tribulation period will prompt a revival in Israel. Uh, You know, what a lot of people forget is that although Israel returned to the land in, in, in 19, began returning to the land in 1948, that was not the return that Jesus prophesied and many of the Old Testament prophets talked about uh, in, 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 in Scripture. That was uh, a precursor because the Jews are not returning to the land in belief. Uh, 1948 was a purely secular, in, you know, political, earthly mechanism, and it was... Uh, there are a lot of forces at play, by the way, and not all of them good uh, back during that uh, you know, Zionist uh, movement. Um, but it's a good thing, obviously. And I talked, I was just on the Christian Underground News Network Tuesday and talked about how the number one sign on my top ten list of signs that we might be living in the last of the last days was that the, the, the revival of Israel as a nation. Because we know that Israel has to be a nation after the rapture in order for the Antichrist to uh, to, to rule from there and to have a temple that he desecrates from there. We know that Israel has to be a nation for Christ to come back and take the throne and rule from there. So when Israel was reborn and on May 15, 1948, that was pretty significant. But that's not the fulfillment that we're going to see at the end of the tribulation 
of, uh, as Jesus said, when he sends his angels to regather Israel in the land. So that the Jews are not in the land in belief today. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't some believers there. There are. There are many Jews who uh, have already believed the gospel, just as they did in Paul's day. Remember, we looked at last week in Romans how Paul says uh, there, are a, there is a remnant today in the church age of Jews who are the spiritual seed of Abraham. And that's referring to Jews who get saved by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for their sins. And so just as there were in the first century and have been throughout uh, the last 2,000 years of the church age, there will be, uh, there are today, there are Jews today who are believers. But the vast majority of Jews in the land today are not believers. Um, they are uh, our allies. You know, Israel is one of our allies. And so as with any ally, we should support them and encourage them. But uh, they don't get a pass just because they're Israel. Uh, it's a lot of people completely miss the context of Genesis 12 and think that basically Israel can do no wrong. Well, I mean, all you got to do is read the Bible and find out that Israel did a lot of wrong. Um, so they're not there in any type of prophetic uh, sense of in belief and waiting for their Messiah to come back for the last 73 years or whatever it is since 1948. So... Uh, they're, they're going to, during the tribulation period, begin to really connect the dots. They will believe the gospel that is being preached during that time by the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. That's the reason in Revelation 7 we're told that there's 144,000 missionaries that are set apart. And interestingly, it's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, the specific tribes there is kind of interesting too. We don't know why those specific ones are mentioned and one, which ones are left out. We can speculate, but the point is they're Jewish missionaries. Why? Because the purpose of the tribulation, one of them, is to bring uh, the Jews back and to help them believe the gospel at long last. So by the end of the tribulation, you will have a huge number of Jews that indeed believe the gospel. Some of those will be martyred under the reign of terror by the Antichrist. Some of them will survive. Uh, remember Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that when you see the abomination of desolation and the Antichrist turns his uh, you know, target on the Jews, if you go back here to this chart, notice how it says the first three and a half years of the tribulation are protection, the last three and a half years are persecution. Sometimes you'll see charts that uh, come from the same perspective as, as I do, a, a dispensational understanding of Scripture that, God, that God's Word has to be interpreted in its literal, grammatical, historical context. You'll see them mark out the first three and a half years as three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of persecution. And, and that's just kind of an old school way of talking about it, but it's misleading. In fact, I, I dealt with that uh, Thursday night. I was on uh, Life Clips uh, podcast uh, with Kim uh, Durante and... Um, and she kind of made that comment, and I kind of interjected and clarified, uh, you know, that the first three and a half years are going to be devastating. There's not going to be anything peaceful about it at all. What we mean by that is that according to Scripture, the Antichrist himself is not going to hunt, I mean, and his legion of demons and armies, the, the UN or whoever it is at that time, the world army, is not going to hunt down and persecute Jews intentionally for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. But based on the sealed judgments, which you see on the screen there, there's going to be all kinds of devastation taking place during that first three and a half years. It'll be 
the end of the world as we know it. And, and there will certainly be suffering and death and bloodshed and hardship and so forth. So don't, under, don't think that somehow that final seven-year period, the first three and a half years is all going to be, you know, roses and popsicles and everybody's going to be happy. That's not at all what we're saying. Just relative to the Antichrist's focus on Israel, which is what the seven years is all about. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is Israel, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Relative to that, the first three and a half years, he keeps his treaty with Israel. He doesn't go after them. But then at the midpoint, he desecrates the temple, demands that everybody worship him, says that he's God. And at that point, he unleashes his fury on the Jews. And, and that's why Jesus said you should, at that point, when you see that event, speaking again to the future generation that will be alive at that time, you should head for the hills because it's, it's going to get uh, tough. So uh, during that time, many will survive. That's the reason Jesus said the one who endures until the end will be delivered into the kingdom, Matthew 24. So uh, I think that's verse 13. So so that's what's going to be happening. And during this time, one of the purposes of this whole point is to bring to a climax uh, Israel's uh, rebellion and, and to summon them back and engender this messianic uh, revival. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 4, we read, The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, talking about Israel, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. When you are in distress, that's another name for the tribulation period, and all these things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice. Remember what Paul said? We didn't have time to read it in Romans 9 through 11, but uh, if you go back and read that section in chapter 10, he says the reason Israel hasn't received her kingdom yet is because they have not all obeyed the gospel. Well, how do you obey the gospel? By believing it. By believing the good news that salvation is available only as a free gift through faith in Christ. Uh, you trust in Christ, that's the way you receive the gift. Nothing you can do, no way you can earn it, uh, no way to be good enough. Jesus paid it all. If, if you could earn your own eternal salvation, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. And so uh, he says, when you, in the latter days, turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is merciful God, he will not forsake nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore uh, to them. So again, during that seven-year period, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to all the world. So obviously there will be people, not just Jews, but people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language, Revelation 7 tells us, that are believing the gospel and being born again. But it'll be a, specifically a time that engenders a messianic revival among the Jews. And then, in related to that, because remember, you know, this is true in all of the prophecies about their return, that they must first believe before they can return. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 10. He says, how can they call on him to deliver them into the kingdom? Joel 2, he's quoting Joel 2 there in, in Romans 10, 13. If they've not first believed, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? So faith comes first for individual eternal salvation. Then national confession brings national deliverance into the kingdom. So there's this messianic revival. People are getting saved eternally by trusting in Christ, faith alone in Christ alone. Then we see the fulfillment of what Jesus talked about uh, in uh, the uh, Olivet Discourse. There's a complete return in belief this time 
of the Jews uh, to the land. And I believe that, uh, that there will be already during the tribulation a great desire to return to the land. And during the first three and a half years, you will see Jews coming back, having been saved in anticipation of their Messiah coming back. And then at the midpoint, the Antichrist is going to say, here I am, I'm your Messiah, worship me. And the believing Jews are going to realize that's a lie and they're going to flee from Jerusalem. They're going to do a U-turn, right? And there won't be much return to the land, won't be any return to land during the last three and a half years because at that point, they're going to be hiding from Satan's terror. Um, but at the end, when Christ comes back and we come back with him to set up the kingdom, the battle of Armageddon takes place. The Antichrist and all of his regime are destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. Christ sets himself up on the throne. And then the Jews will return. But what's interesting is, uh, if you look at, I don't remember if I have this on the screen or not. I probably do, but just uh, let's look over at Matthew 24. And, and he describes this return when he comes back. And it's, it's at that point, it's a supernatural return. So, you know, already Jews have been coming back to the land, most of them in unbelief today. During the first part of the tribulation, you're going to see some Jews come back to the land in belief, uh, physically just like pack up their stuff, get on their cars or horses or whatever and start heading for Jerusalem. But when Christ comes back, Matthew 24 verse 31 says, he will, this is verse 31, he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect, that's Israel, from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And that's the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, Isaiah 27, 13, and a host of many other uh, passages. So, for example, we see Zechariah talk about, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. That's a very, that statement that I just read, they will, shall be my people and I will be their God, is a very unique uh, messianic statement of the culmination of God's plan of the ages. You see it again in Revelation 21 when it describes the ultimate landing place of intimacy. It's not to say that he's not our God, but right now there are a lot of things in this fallen world that are interrupting and somehow causing problems with that relationship but at that point, it will be just a real special uh, moment. Again, Ezekiel 36, this is part of the New Covenant blessing. Uh, a lot of people miss this. Uh, the New Covenant and the Davidic Covenant, when Christ will reign and fulfill the kingdom promises, are all interconnected. So, you know, the New Covenant is not some synonym for the church age, um, contrary to what people have taught. Uh, he says, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Notice again, in both cases, the passive tense, at least for Israel. God in Zechariah, I will bring you back. In Ezekiel 36, I will take you from among the nations. In Ezekiel 37, uh, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side, and bring them to their own uh, land. So that's that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24, 31, when he says, I will, He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds of heaven uh, to the other. So 
So that's, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, fourth thing is to prompt a complete return of the Jews to the land. And then, this is really significant, one of the purposes of, of the tribulation is to end the times of the Gentiles. Now, what are the times of the Gentiles? Well, we see Jesus refer to this in Luke's uh, account of the Olivet Discourse. And it's a phrase that describes the period of, uh, uh, during which Gentiles, rather than the Jews, control the fate of Jerusalem. They are in charge of the holy city. And it began when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. and carted off the Jews into exile. And it has not stopped to this day. So that's another you know, point to be made about the present modern-day Israel. There, they can't possibly be the fulfillment of prophecy because it's still under Gentile domination. Um, so the times of the Gentiles encompass from the moment Jerusalem fell under Nebuchadnezzar all the way until the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords Christ comes back and takes the throne. So Jesus says, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Um, you know, throughout this entire long history, which is what roughly 2,500 years so far, to almost 2,600 years from 586 B.C. to present, uh, Gentiles have controlled Jerusalem. And, you know, I don't care how many peace accords you establish or how much give and take there is or who controls what part of, you know, the Gaza Strip or the West Bank or this or that. It's not going to ever work until the Prince of Peace himself comes back and takes the throne. And so don't get all excited about uh, someone claiming to have resolved peace. If anything, it ought to remind us that we must be getting close because that's what the Antichrist is going to do. You know, he's going to be the one who finally solves the Middle East peace, you know, the Middle East crisis, right? Uh, and that's what's going to give him uh, notoriety in the world view. But Paul uses a similar phrase, going back to that famous passage in Romans 9 through 11, uh, but he calls it the fullness of the Gentiles. He says, again, I do not desire, brethren, that you sh should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part, remember we talked about that last week, how it's a time of blindness nationally for Israel right now, but it's only partial because there are some Jews who get saved, and Paul was one of them. Uh, but he says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Not exactly the same thing, but it's related. This, you know, you know, uh, Peter tells us, God is not willing that any should perish, but they all come to repentance, that everyone change their mind about who Christ is and believe the gospel. And uh, we don't know his timetable, but right now he's tarrying his coming so that more and more people can get saved uh, during this during this times of the Gentiles. So it's, it's a time, as I've said many times before, that uh, if you think of the world as a stage, and each you know, over a period of time you have different acts in that stage, right, in, in that uh, play, if you will, at different times there's a different group that's center stage. And then, you know, the curtain falls, you hear the stuff shuffling around, then the curtain rises, a new act, and someone else's center stage. Well, 
Israel was center stage until the exile. They were God's chosen nation. They, the spotlight was on them. And they were supposed to be uh, witnessing to the unity of Yahweh and the goodness of our Creator and bringing people into this covenant relationship with God by faith. But they failed and failed and failed again. And so finally, God said, okay, I'm done with you now. Not permanently, as Paul tells us. And we know from the covenant promises to Israel, they can't possibly be uh, unfulfilled. They, they were not conditional to begin with. They were unconditional. But in any event, from a time perspective, God sets them aside. And the next act involves the church. And so from the first century in Acts chapter 2, the church is born. And we are now center stage. And so uh, many Gentiles are being saved now. Remember, um, what did Paul say in, in uh, Romans 11? He says, you know, that the rejection by Israel means blessing to uh, the church. He said, um, have they stumbled? This is talking about Israel, that they should fall, Romans 11, 11. Certainly not, but through them it fall to provoke to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles, and if their fall is riches to the world and their failure riches to the Gentiles, how much more their uh, fullness? In other words, this is a pretty amazing time. We're seeing an incredible harvest of souls over the last 2,000 years. Israel, uh, despite their calling and their purpose in God's plan of the ages, never did it. They, they never, we never saw a worldwide global revival with all the pagan nations around them coming to faith. They instead ended up always uh, capitulating to the pagan false gods and embracing their religions and intermarrying and intermingling with them, and it, they just never quite succeeded. Now they will, they will succeed when the perfect king, Christ, comes back and takes the throne, and we'll have a 1,000-year period that Revelation talks about of revival, and it'll all be centered in Israel. And so Israel, during that time, when the king of kings is on the throne, will experience, we, the world for the first time will experience global revival. So even the church, even though we've done historically a better job than Israel did in their first act, uh, has, you know, we've, not, we've not fulfilled that. In fact, we know from Scripture that things are getting worse and worse, and there's a remnant, but we're not seeing global worldwide revival. We're seeing just the opposite. That's not to say there haven't been pockets of revival and moves of the Holy Spirit during the last 2,000 years where people in different geographic regions have had incredible uh, harvest of souls because people have come to faith in Christ. But if you think in terms of the whole globe, you know, Israel was called to bring people into faith. They didn't do it. The church has been called to do it, and that's our commission. But we won't succeed but not until Christ, and then during the tribulation, by the way, who comes center stage there? The church is gone. We've exited the next act, and it's, you know, the 144,000 are the envoys, the representatives, the messengers to preach the gospel. Then that act ends at the coming of Christ, the return of Christ, and Christ himself takes center stage on the throne in the rebuilt temple, as Ezekiel describes. And, and at that time, for the first time, we will see global revival, and people will come up from the east and the west and, and, and worship God, the Son, and people will believe in Him. They'll be saved from the penalty of sin, and we'll see global uh, revival. But right now, uh, we're in the times of the Gentiles, which both means that Gentiles are the ones dominating 
Jerusalem and Israel. It also means that it's a time when the Gentiles are center stage, the church, and we're seeing a lot of people get saved around the world that are not Jews. And uh, so if you go back to my chart, the times of the Gentiles really, you know, goes, this is not on this chart, but if you go off to the left back to 586 B.C. when Jerusalem fell, you know, it's, it's, it's ongoing until Christ uh, comes back. That's the times of the Gentiles. And by the way, even though Herod built uh, the second temple, it, that was all secular. You know, that, was, that had nothing to do with a revival and, and Jews being in the land and belief. The, the temple uh, in Christ's day that, that, that Herod built uh, was very uh, pagan, was very much under Gentile domination. Now, the Jews at that time were in cahoots with the Romans, and it was just a puppet state of Rome. So it was still under Gentile domination. Does that make sense? So it's not until the, and then the Antichrist's temple will be rebuilt, uh, could very well be rebuilt before the rapture. We don't know, but it most certainly will be rebuilt uh, after the rapture because the Antichrist has to walk into it and desecrate it. But that temple will not be the ultimate temple too. That one's still under the Gentile domination, right? Uh, I did a series on our radio program years ago. You can still find it on our website, I think, called The Five Temples. And, uh, and, and, and so we won't get till the final temple until we get to the millennium. And uh, that's the, the, the physical temple that will be rebuilt. The dimensions and the beauty and the grandeur of it are described in Ezekiel 40 to 48. And that will be one that is not under Gentile domination, but under a Jewish uh, control. So uh, the times of the Gentiles, we see this spelled out specifically in a couple of prophecies of Daniel. First of all, Daniel chapter 2, with Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image there of the statue. And it per prophesies perfectly that, you know, the Babylonian Empire will first be dominant, then the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Grecian Empire, and then, of course, the Roman Empire, which was split into an eastern and western half with Rome and Constantinople. And then Daniel talks about a revival of that fourth empire, the Roman Empire, at the, in the end times when the Antichrist himself will rule in the waning days of the times of the Gentiles. And uh, so, but then Christ is going to come back. It's depicted in the dream uh, like a stone that was not made with hands. In other words, an eternal stone, meaning Christ, will come back and destroy the, that final uh, temple, which is represented by the feet, a mixture of uh, clay and iron, and it will, he will topple it, and he will usher in his kingdom. Then you get to Daniel chapter 7, you see a similar outline, but this time it's Daniel's vision, and it's a vision of this bizarre beast and the, you know, talks about the Babylonian Empire, then again the Medo-Persian Empire, then Greece, and then ultimately the Roman Empire. So if you put these side by side, you see that Daniel, the prophet, was simply revealing through the Holy Spirit this details about the times of the Gentiles, of Gentile domination, including the age in which we uh, currently live. Now, the first Roman Empire there uh, has already come and gone. But the Bible is clear that it will be revived uh, under the tyrannical leadership of the Antichrist in the end times. So right now, there is no 
one of these empires that's ruling, but it's still a time of Gentile uh, domination of the temple. And then the sixth and final purpose of the tribulation uh, is to purge the earth of the wicked in order to establish the messianic kingdom in righteousness. So we know that when the kingdom begins, only the righteous will be present. Now, what do we mean by the righteous? We don't mean people who behaved, like, you know, be a good little boy. We don't mean the people who did what was right, because Paul is very clear that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody that can be righteous on earth. We're talking here about positional righteousness that comes only through faith. <clears throat> Paul said in Romans chapter 5, that therefore having been justified, which means declared righteous, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only people that will be on the earth after Christ comes back will be those who by faith in Christ, our Savior, have been declared righteous, have been justified by faith. And so uh, one of the purposes is to kind of culminate that, bring this earth to a purging that's the reason the last thing jesus mentions in the sermon on the mount there is this sheep and the goats judgment where he says i come back when i come back i'm going to separate everybody on earth into two categories remember we will already have been rescued before then and have our glorified bodies and we'll be ruling and reigning with him but for those in their physical bodies on the earth at the end of the tribulation Everyone will fall into one of two camps. The righteous, the sheep, who by faith have trusted in Christ and believed the gospel message of the 144,000, and the goats, who rejected the gospel message, have not put their faith in Christ and therefore will spend eternity in hell. And so he says to the sheep, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And to the goats he says, Depart from me into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So Isaiah talks about this. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Complete global righteousness. Uh, he says, Behold, the day the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. Again, talking about those who are, are not positionally righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. So once you've been declared righteous by faith, it doesn't mean you never sin. Uh, we still have that old sin nature, that old man, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5.16. But the difference is our identity is in Christ, and nothing can ever change that. And uh, there are consequences for sin in the life of a believer. There are lost blessings, lost rewards, uh, discipline of God, natural consequences of sin, but nothing can ever change who we are if we become identified with Christ by faith alone in Him. So he's talking here about uh, the end of the tribulation when Christ comes back. He says, <clears throat> It shall be in that day that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. I mean, think about that. How, how many of you believe there's an unclean spirit in the land today, in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I had a friend who uh, sent me a text or actually a signal message and uh, with a little video and it was just horrific and he, and he made the comment, he said, this world is under demonic control and he's right, the, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, First John 5 tells us. But notice what he says, uh, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. I want you to picture this, when Christ 
comes back and sits on the throne, no one's going to remember these old idols. Certainly not at first. I mean, over time, as people are born, and people have babies in the, in the kingdom period, they will be born sinners like everybody, and, and they, some of them will believe the gospel, some of them won't. So over time, you'll have a contingent of unbelievers. So much so that by the end of the thousand years, when Satan is set free from prison, he gathers all of those unbelievers together as one final army to try to defeat God. And, of course, that doesn't go well for him at all. But certainly at the beginning, everyone's going to be looking to Christ, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, the leader of the world, the king of kings. They're going to worship him and obey him and serve him. And, and, and you know, people are going to talk about idols and Ashtoreths and Baals and all these things, and they're going to go, what? What's that? Oh, that's some ancient thing back in the old day when the earth was still under the curse, you know. Of course, it's still under the curse in the millennium, but it's held more in check. So it's just, it's just a really fascinating thing to think about in my mind that people will not remember the idols anymore. Why? Zechariah says, because the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day it shall be the Lord is one. And his name won. And then I mentioned the Olivet Discourse uh, and how at the end of it, Jesus talks about how when he comes back, he's going to separate the uh, you know, sheep from uh, the goats. So if we go back to our chart, if you look at the second coming over here on the far right, that down arrow, that begins the kingdom uh, you know, of, of Christ. I mean, actually, there's a small period of preparation in there that we read about in, in the Old Testament in Daniel. But anyway, then the kingdom officially commences with the kickoff party, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and then and it's all righteous. And at that point, it's, it's all the old ways of thinking, all the old idols, all of that are done. Jeremiah the prophet tells us that everyone will know about the Lord from the least to the greatest. We won't have any missionary endeavors anymore because everybody will know the Lord. They may not have believed. Well, they will have believed him at first, but over time they may not believe in him, but they'll know who he is, right? So, uh, so that's uh, the, the final piece of the puzzle in terms of uh, the purpose of the tribulation is to purge the earth of the wicked, to establish the long-awaited kingdom of righteousness. So um, what, what we're going to do is, because I used up all the time today, I'll, we'll dedicate next Sunday the entire 9 o'clock hour to Q&A. So be thinking about your questions. They don't have to relate just to the tribulation. Anything related to the end times, which is what this study is on. Uh, those of you watching online or if you watch this video, if you want to text me or email me a question, I'll collect all those and have them ready for next week. And those of you here, if you want to think about your questions um, and have them ready for next week, we'll dedicate that to a to Q&A. All right. Well, we are out of time so I'm not even going to I'm going to resist the temptation to take questions because I know that'll run into our time but let's take a break we'll come back together at 10 o'clock for our worship hour here locally those of you joining us online typically we start the live stream at about anywhere from 10:25 to maybe 10:30 even a little bit later sometimes so just uh, join us uh, back around that time